Welcome to episode five of Sporting News Kangaroo Court College Hoops Podcast. Alongside SN's college basketball editor, Cami Mattioli, I'm Troy Macker, back from a two-week vacation. Got to go out to the Super Bowl, so that was nice. Good to have you back, man. Uh, and it's a good time to be back. Football is finally done with, and we can really set our sights on the NCAA tournament uh, and March, the, the ending of the college basketball season. Uh, today is not about the tournament. It's about Player of the Year award and what constitutes Player of the Year nomination and, in fact, what constitutes Player of the Year terminology. So that's really what we're going to get in today, and let's get right into it. Uh, you know, the reason we're talking about this is because well, I don't exactly know what started it, but talking about Cap Barber from North Carolina State and whether or not a player on a team of that caliber this season can three and ten in conference a three and ten team in the ACC can win Player of the Year. And before we get to that, it got me thinking about the amount of times that I've heard pundits, media people in all sports talk about the the player of the year. In some sports, it's the MVP. In the tournament, it's most outstanding player. In other, in college football, it's the Heisman. It, there is no, you know, really, what is it? Like people say, it has to do with the merits on and off the field. So these awards, individual awards given to players, they shift and, uh, and flow on what the merits are that constitute giving them an award. And it's up to people to vote. So then it's up to the voters' discretion. And I know there are people who value player of the year to be best player on best team. Some play, people just say it's the best player in the country. But, you know, there's a player at Howard University averaging 29 points a game this year. He's not going to win that. So how do you determine player of the year? Like, what do you give it to? I think you have to weigh a number of things. I think, first of all, you have to weigh how much this player means to their team. And I think that that kind of comes into the fold as – most outstanding player. I mean, you, you look at that in the tournament, and that's based on a series of what? I think four or six games, however however you want to measure that, depending on where your team starts. Um, so then I think that, that has to be a facet of the overall player of the year because you're factoring in how much this player means to whatever team he plays for. I think, to me, that's the biggest thing. And he needs to make your team better. There needs to be some tangible way that you can measure how your team performs without him and how your team performs with him. And I think, obviously, the more discrepancy there is in those numbers, the more that player means to your team. That, to me, is one of my biggest considerations for player of the year. Obviously, uh, there are certain circumstances where a player means more to a losing team than a player does to a winning team. And then you have to look at other factors. So I think some of the other factors you look at are um, how does this team perform? And are they meeting or exceeding the expectations that were set in the preseason or over the course of the season have they exceeded expectations? Obviously not the case with NC State. Um, I don't know that anybody projected them to be really good, but I don't think anybody projected them to be a 3-10 ACC team. So, I mean, do you penalize a guy for that? That's the question that we're sitting here asking. So what do you think? Do you, is that penalizing a player who may have a really, really great string of performances to say, well, you're on a, a team that's 3-10 and 10 in the ACC? I think when looking at teams – outside the top 25 or in that discussion so teams outside like the top 40 and looking at a three and ten team in acc play albeit this is not a team that we thought was going to be in three and ten this is not a bad team i mean yeah, maverick rowan albeit a freshman is really talented 
Abdul Malik Abu is, is a very good player. You know, people thought he was a top 50 player last year. I thought he was closer to top 100. BJ Anya, uh, while banged up, you know, is one of the b- better big men in the country, even though big men are down. So this team is having a down year. So I think people are devaluing his efforts because of the snapshot they have of his team. But I think when you look at teams outside that kind of top 50 mark, and especially when you're trying to weigh the merits of someone at an, a mid-major level, because that's almost just as difficult because they just don't play the same style right, right. of competition. So how do we look at a guy like Keith Fielder at Oklahoma or at Oakland and weigh him in terms of just being an All-American in general? Because Well, I think we ran into that with Kiefer Sykes last year. Kiefer Sykes was by and large, the best player in the Horizon League. Um, He was in the competition for one of the top ten players by points per game in overall players in all of Division I, and people didn't really know what box to put him in. So I think a lot of times we as the media just get so comfortable trying to put these players in whatever boxes we want to put them in, whether that's, okay, he scored the most points per game, but somebody else has more rebounds per game. Or this guy, he played on a team that was really good, and he was maybe the second best player on his team, but his team was really good. So, like, there's a lot of boxes you can put these players into, and I think we just have a pattern of continuing to put them in the same boxes. At least that's my evaluation of it. I mean, I think people began to recognize that a guy like like Kiefer Sykes should be someone that's in the conversation. He's not going to be – the runaway candidate, but I think it's wrong to exclude him just because his team's a mid-major because his team's not good. Yeah, and and I guess my, my thing with that is like, okay, we're, because we're flawed in general, uh, the voters, the I think people probably listening to this podcast are the like top 10% of college basketball fans who know everything, uh, and we watch and consume college basketball more than the people who actually vote. I think that's an inherent problem with all voting processes uh, in college sports. But so you, you then look at, well, how did they play against the best competition or the most important game? So right. with a guy like Keith Felder, who's already third in the country in scoring and first in steals. Okay. Oakland played Mich- uh, Michigan state in a non-conference game on a neutral court, scored 37 points, took Michigan state, who was then I believe number one in the country to double overtime lost by four and, you know, was going head-to-head with Denzel Valentine, who is also in the discussion for play of the year. So at least you have that feather in the cap, whereas, okay, yeah, sure, he's playing Milwaukee and Detroit and Green Bay, but against the big competition, he played as well as anyone has in the country. And so if you do look at at uh, Cap Barber and what he's done, you know, he dropped 26 points against Duke and 31 points against Florida State uh, and 30 points against Miami. Those are all... Miami is a lock for the tournament and a high seed. Duke, more than likely, and Florida State on the periphery. So, And that's just recent. So he has performances. But if you look at it, uh, Monday, Tuesday night... Monday night, Tuesday night, this week against Virginia, 14 points, fizzled down the stretch. Uh, Earlier in the year against North Carolina, 9 points. So, yeah, it's great if you're scoring 38 against Wake Forest, but... It's almost in that position you want to see him do it consistently. Well, here's here's my issue with that valuation. So if you look at Ken Palm, 
According to Ken Palm, Cat Barber is number two overall in the country for the percentage of minutes that yep. he plays. He plays 96.1% of NC State's available minutes. So that's to say that he has to be, if he's playing that many minutes, he has to be on his game every single second of those 96.1% of the minutes. Okay, I think he averages more than 38 minutes per game, which... It's crazy. He is their only option. And so, yeah, he is going to have a night where he scores nine points and another night where he scores 14. But then he's also going to have a night where, on a pretty consistent basis, he scores 20. He averages 20.5 points per game in NC State's losses, okay? If you compare him comparatively to Buddy Heald, whose Oklahoma team has only lost four times as of Tuesday, because that's when we filmed this, he scores 30 points in, a lo in losses, Smaller sample size. However, he's not responsible for 96.1% of the available minutes. So then you have to look, you have to go a little bit deeper to find another way to compare the two. And I just, I mean, I think you, if, you, if you only look at the surface level of that and say, okay, well, there are times against good competition where Cat Barber scored for 14 and 9 and 11 points, I think that that's just a very surface view of his resume. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, it, but like if Chris Dunn didn't play well against Villanova, would we uh, evaluate it at the same level as we do? If, Cause I know, you know, uh, being in the, what are they? Well, I hope you wouldn't, I hope you wouldn't evaluate on just one game and one performance. No, that but would like, be dumb. like if we, if we take the Virginia North Carolina state game last night, which got out of hand in the second half, but a lot of people, especially here in the, what I was going to say is we're in the triangle region, I guess. Uh, we're watching at because Piedmont, if you will, I got a lot of, I said something about Eastern North Carolina yesterday and everybody says, no, it's the Piedmont. Oh, right, right. Cause the triangle is Raleigh, Durham and Greensboro. Wait, no, no, that's way too far West. Winston. What's the, th what's the, Winston th is it Chapel Hill? I guess, yeah, Chapel right, Hill. I guess. Uh, yeah. So we're in Charlotte. Um, but, uh, so Cap Barber basically got shut down in the second half and Virginia rolled and so we're saying a lot of people were saying, well, there goes the end of his bid, and it, it you know, it, it's very much, I, I don't like again. So, so that one twenty minutes cancels out everything else that he's done to this no, point. No, like no, that's crazy. I, I, I don't think that, but I, I just, I, 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 well, here's I think we should just catch it with is that this isn't so much we're trying to give Cab Barber the award because I think we're both in agreement oh, that yeah, that's not Heald's going to win the the award unless he breaks his leg i hope he doesn't but that's the, me knocking on wood you know i don't i i'm at least in agreement that there's no reason why he shouldn't be in the discussion now would i rank him in the top three no no i because i just don't think he's as good as denzel valentine or chris dunn i think there are at least probably five to seven guys ahead of him but to say okay you're not even going to be in the discussion because your team sucks i mean yeah. what kind of what kind of research does that say that you've done other than you've watched a couple of his games and you've looked at their record and said okay they suck so let's go a little bit deeper i pulled up some ken palm numbers and actually ryan fagan pulled up some ken palm numbers so shout out to ryan um all right, if we're comparing the two, let's look at Cat Barber first. We already talked about that, we already established that he played 96.1% of the overall minutes that are available to him, which puts him number two overall in the country, okay? So if we're looking at um, his offensive rating, he's 117.9, 
His percentage of possessions for NC State is 29.2, and his percentage of shots is 29.3% of all available shots come from Cat Barber. Okay, let's compare that to Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald's offensive rating is 125 compared to 117.9. His percentage of possessions are a little bit less. He only gets 28.5% of the possessions for Oklahoma, but he takes 30.7% of their shots. So those numbers are not that far removed. They're doing similar things for their teams. Mm -hmm. So if you're just looking at that, and I think that that's more than a surface view of their both of their resumes, yeah. I mean, the comparison there is so minute, other than the offensive rating, which separates them by, what like, uh, eight points. I mean, we're talking, like, tenths of percentage points here. So... I think there's there's just no way in my mind that you can say that if Buddy Heald is far and away the best player in college basketball and should win the Player of the Year award, and you look at these statistics and you say, okay, well they're 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 really not that far separated, then Buddy then Cat Barber deserves to be in this conversation too. Yeah, but but I don't think that we can just look at statistics, however deep they may be, because what about someone with an offensive percentage rating of uh, 105.8? Uh, you know, a, and a effective uh, efficiency percentage of um, 37%, and then someone who takes 36% of a team's possessions. Pretty even, the offensive percentage rating being a little bit lower than those two. That guy's James Daniel, again, who leads the country in scoring. He plays at Howard, which is like one of the 300 to 350th best teams, or basically one of the worst teams in the country. Statistically, he's there. So I think... Well, you know, this isn't a most valuable player award. You have to look at what does he do for his team in terms of clutch buckets or just things that you can only see with the eye. And that leaves it up to... But is... Okay, so if, if you're only looking at things that you can see with the eye, well, Howard is not on national TV. So ostensibly nobody is watching that game. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a flawed comparison to make because you're saying, okay, well, Oklahoma gets you know, whatever it is, like 18 ESPN games. Yeah. But th think about who's won the, the the National Player of the Year. You know, McDermott won it, but Creighton was also the most visible mid-major in half a decade. The last time before was was Adam Morrison, and at that point, Gonzaga was the most visible mid-major. So, absolutely, that's not... What I'm saying is that we shouldn't attribute just stats because I don't think they tell the whole story. I think, absolutely, uh opposition how your team fares against the opposition and then what you do against opposition to help your team and i think that yeah it is is it unfair that cat barber's team isn't good and that's one of the reasons he won't be in the discussion yes that being said if there is his if his team was better wouldn't he p perhaps be taking less shots or perhaps being involved a little bit less on offense which means, hey, maybe they're winning more games, he's doing less. We don't know that for a fact. You're extrapolating a sequence of events where you have to have six or seven things fall into place for that all to happen. I, like, I just, I mean, we could sit here and predict all day if player X did this and then player B did this and then, you know, so on and so forth. Like, 17 different things could happen. I mean, yeah. Kentucky could have won the title last year if we're going to go back and, and extrapolate that kind of stuff. No, so. I think, but just to say... If we're arguing, one of the reasons you're making is that if because his team isn't good, he's not getting looked, well, what if his team was better? Is it that simple? Don't you have to imagine that that 
he is being asked to do more because others can't? I don't know if he would be better. Maybe he would have. Maybe he would score fewer points per game because he has to do less. Uh, maybe he shares the ball more. Maybe his assists would be higher. I just, how, how much does that matter to you? I think it certainly does. Because again, if we're just valuing statistics, then there are players that the casual fan has never heard of that are putting up, you know, thirty or twenty-nine, twenty-eight points a game. Uh, how come Jack Gibbs at Davidson is not in this discussion? He's the only person in since Jimmer Fredette to score 40 points three times in a season. So, But, you're, you, I mean, these people could all very well be in the conversation. I have no problem with that. I mean, I'm not going to say because you go to Howard, even if you're the best player on your team, you can't be in the discussion. I, I think that – I think that's stupid. I, I don't think you're – that doesn't make you automatically a front runner. I think people try to associate the fact that we're saying that these players should be in consideration with saying that they should have even serious consideration or that they should be a front runner for the award. That's not what I'm sitting here saying. What I'm sitting here saying is if we're going to look at college basketball and you're going to look at the best player in college basketball, you have to evaluate all of the college basketball landscape, not just the Power Five, not just the teams that are on ESPN. Like, at least consider the fact that there may be players at other schools that you don't see that deserve to at least be talked about in the discussion well that that's my main point yeah, like, but i don't Anthony, really but necessarily t- think he should be he yeah, should but be cat like, barber is is in a power five conference that plays on espn right and that that's why i think people are upset that he's talked about in that he plays for a losing team so he can't possibly be player of the year so Again, like, what is player of the year? Because if it's just the best player, aren't you looking at the person who, against the best competition, is doing the best? And do we know for a fact every time he plays really good teams, he is flat out better than everyone on their team? I mean, the stats points-wise seem to indicate it. Sadly, I, I have watched a handful of North Carolina State games, but, it, like, I don't think we – I think – being on a, a mediocre to bad team, it does. But like, I think it hurts you. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I think it hurts you. I'll concede that. I've never said anything other than that. Is it unfair? I think that that's patently unfair. I mean, he can't. He can only control so much. And so to say that this guy who's whose points and assists and rebounds per game put him in the conversation and his statistics support the argument to include him in the conversation to say that he can't be part of it because his team sucks. I just think that that's like really unfair. I don't I don't know how else to put it. It's just it just seems like it should be something that even if you're just including him to say, "Okay, we recognize what you're doing for a team that sucks." Like at least that's better than saying we we just don't really care about you cuz your team sucks. Yeah. No, I get it. I just it's it's very hard. It's just like, it's you... not like the ACC is like some scrub league. You know, it's not the, It's not like they're going and playing in the MEAC or something. Like, this is a league that has good teams. It's a Power 5 conference. Like, even if you're is, – is that not – does that not count more than maybe a team that, like, you know I, – I don't know how to say it. Was Creighton a Big East team when Doug McDermott won? Yes, right? Yes, his senior, his senior year. Okay, so so – if we're going to extrapolate here, let's say that they were still uh, – what was it, Missouri Valley? Yeah. Okay, so, so let's say that they were still a Missouri Valley team and Doug McDermott put up those numbers, but he was playing teams like um, 
Evansville and, and other teams that aren't on the same caliber as some of the ACC teams. Did, would you penalize Doug McDermott because the other teams in his conference that he played and beat up on weren't that good? Um, like, he has no control over that. I mean, I guess he has control over where he chooses to go to school, but it's not like he, can, he has control over how the other teams in his conference play. I think because – and I, I was going to then say, well, Cap Arbor's not exactly an elite defender, but Doug McDermott wasn't either. Um, Doug McDermott was doing things that visually blew us away, even when he was in the Missouri Valley Ah, Conference. the old eye test. Absolutely. No, and I think, again, we're having people vote here, and we're having people who don't watch – this is the problem with college polls in football and basketball – it's a good thing there's no polls in pro sports because it would be crazy. Um, <laughs> but, again, we, we're having people, some people who do due diligence and a lot of people who don't do due do, 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 diligence. Do, 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 do. Ah. Um, so they are watching guys get hyped up. It's back to what we talked about a few weeks ago with Ben Simmons. Is the hype warranted? Because he's on ESPN all the time and on CBS this past weekend. Uh, so McDermott was wowing us visually. Barber is a very good player. He's not, you know, he's not must-see TV. He's not, like, that's the way Jimmer Fredette was. It was because he was shooting from the parking lot. Steph Curry is the same way. Uh, that visually, it's appealing. Cap Barber is, you know, a little on the flashy you side. Four, you ask four coaches, and three coaches will tell you that Steph Curry is not a good fundamental shooter. He's interesting to watch because he can pull off shots that nobody else can, but three out of four coaches that I talked to would tell you that he's not a good shooter, fundamentally speaking. So, I mean, like, the thing is, it, there's such a human element to this voting. And, I mean, I saw when I did the mock selection last week, there's such a human element to this voting that it all, it's, it's beneficial that there are so many people who have hit their hands in naming a player of the year and also, you know, putting teams in the field because every person values something differently. I mean, that's something we could take away from this conversation right now. Mm -hmm. You put a certain value on things that I don't necessarily think are important, and you just hope that with the amount of people that are voting on something, it will all even out. Yeah. So, you know, we wrote something last week, early this week, about guys on the fringe of the first team all American. The almost American. Yes. And so you tend to it's not always the case, but the five guys on the all American team are typically the guys in the running for uh national player of the year. I feel like there's been some weird outlier that I can't remember, but ninety nine percent of the time that's the case. So Cap Barber was on our list of guys who are on the fringe. So he's, you know, one of the top thirteen, let's say, players in the country. I think that's top around the top ten mark. Um, I think we had, yeah, so we had five on the, obviously five All-Americans and then eight on the almost list. Yeah, and there's a few stretches on there, but, uh, you know, I would, I put him around the 10 mark. Uh, you know, I Bleacher Report, their latest player of the year, he's not in their top 15. Uh, college basketball talk, he's not in their top 10. There are actually not that many publications that I can find that have done updated rankings, and it does help for this, uh, if nothing else. Um, but... So, you know, but it's funny because on two publications, they look at, at Gary Payton Jr., who plays for a similar team in Oregon, Oregon State. Oregon State. Well, no, not necessarily because Oregon State, I think, is pretty safely, at least in consideration for the tournament. As Are they? We, yeah, we, we put them in last week. Um, you know, they weren't, they weren't a bubble team. They were, they were in. Um, and 
Yeah, that's, 15 and 9. Yeah, yeah that's, that's sort of a different situation because they're not – I mean, NC State has no shot at making the tournament. So if we, if we look at one of these lists, let's, let's look at NBC Sports College Basketball Talk because I like criticizing uh, the person who's in charge of this. Uh, so <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Gary Payton, Oregon State, Villanova's Josh Hart, Bryce Johnson from North Carolina, um, Chris Dunn from Providence, Tyler Eulis from Kentucky, Malcolm Brogdon from Virginia, Ben Simmons from LSU, Jared Utah from Iowa, um, Buddy Heald from Oklahoma State, and Denzel. Oklahoma. Yes, and Denzel Valentine <laughs> from Michigan State. So I was going to. Travis was, Ford was just like so happy for three tenths yeah. of a second. All those players in their top ten are on good teams, very good teams, with LSU being the the uh, the, the, the bubbleish. Yes, team. the outlier, which and there's probably going to get in so again and the same could be said for the bleacher report list which, which i could go through but it's in slide list form and it's going to take a long time to load so but it's the it, it very much publications are basically saying that they devalue a team that can't win even though then is it why isn't it a best why is there a best team award or something like what well isn't that the team that wins the tournament is it though because you know I mean, every, every year there's a team that uh they were the best team, but then XYZ happened and they lost in the tournament. Like North Carolina, that year that, you know, they didn't win the tournament when they had that unbelievable team. But they'll say because, you know, Kendall Marshall broke his hand or something. So I just, that's the thing is there is such a human element to it. I think it's unfair for you to, for for everyone to kind of be like, nah, you you if they're on a bad team, it doesn't matter. You have to. That's just how people are going to think, right? Like, I mean, I guess I don't. I don't know that I think like that. But like I said, there's, there's just so many opinions that go into this that I don't know that it's. I mean, I, I would hope everybody would have some kind of different consideration, and we're not just all sheeple looking at the same stats and and doing, you know, not paying attention to what they're actually doing on the court. Like you said, I think there is some glam factor to throw in a, a very weird word to what. Buddy Heald does, um, and the impact that he has when people watch him. Um, I don't know that that same argument could be said for Ben Simmons. I think he has had some really good performances, and we've also had some head-scratching performances where it's down to the wire and he defers to someone else. So, I mean, does does that hurt him? Maybe. Because if that's your lasting memory of Ben Simmons was when he had the game on the line with the ball in his hands and he deferred to somebody else, I mean, is that player of the year material? I don't know. No, and, and but, like, that's a, a great point because does then, like, you know, what we said about Andrew Wiggins, like, he doesn't have the killer instinct. Does literally that go into, like, that's not a metric, whether or not he has it, air quotes. Like, some people would say, like, his inability to – because there is no defined parameter right. of what the award is. Like, value, if he – you know, let's say he takes that shot time in and time again. He always wants the ball, and he's making big shots. That's an apparent value to his team, but it's just player of the year. Like, what what, what, what does that mean? Like, who do I enjoy watching the most? It's Buddy Heald. Who do I think – best... the most sustained success? Yeah. I mean – you know, you could you could look at it in any number of different filters, and and everybody every person is going to look at it with a different filter, which is interesting. Why at this point? I mean, if we did this podcast maybe I don't know eight weeks ago, 
in the first couple weeks of the season, I think everybody would have said Denzel Valentine, hands down, was the player of the year, yes. the front runner. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, then, no, absolutely. Then he got injured, and mm-hmm. now we're sitting here, and I guess, I don't know, maybe six weeks later, we're definitively sure that it's Buddy Heald's game to lose. So mm-hmm. I think there's just so much that can change over the course of a few weeks with, you know, a bad bounce or someone lands on and rolls an ankle. I mean, so I don't know. This was a lot more difficult last year. I remember when we sat down with Mike and Ryan and, and everybody and we talked about who was our player of the year and, and um, who were our All-Americans. I remember that being pretty difficult. Yeah. Well, there's the, the wealth of high-end talent was better. We're trying to parse guys who are very good. But, you know, the, the, like the reasons we, we throw Simmons is in is because well, he, he had the 40-point game and he's played really well. But because of the, like, upside and potential and, and length and measurables. Which is great if you're an NBA team. Exactly. Are you, why are you evaluating a college-level talent on his NBA projection? Yeah. That doesn't seem very fair. Exactly. I, I tend to agree. Like, I think he is either a first-team All-American or, you know, second-team All-American. I, I don't think he's a top three for player of the year because he's been inconsistent. Now, they've all had games. Again, these guys are, like, 18 to 21 years old. I couldn't do anything consistently for 40 minutes, like let alone play Mario Kart. So could you sleep though? I mean... n- uh, un- unless it was like 4 a.m. to 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. Uh, so that was really the only thing I did well was sleep from very late in the night to very late in, in the morning and afternoon. College life. Yeah, and so we're at, you know so yeah again like Cap Barber had 14 points against Virginia on on Monday night. Is that the end of it? No, but. I'll tell you what, if, if Virginia or if North Carolina State not only doesn't lay an egg in the second half, but then he wills them to victory, again, we are able to write the word I hate the most in journalism, the narrative, oh, God. on like a, any given night. And based on the fervor of the internet and Twitter and everything, we can dictate how people think. And it's dangerous. It's why there's all this. Uh, backlash about Ben Simmons and him being on CBS when their team is on the bubble hunt and being on ESPN and having all these features on him when his team's not very good. So we and we can absolutely control it. And if they win last night and he hits a game-winning shot, people could now start to dive into the stats as you've done and see, hey, maybe we should give him more, even though that win would not have. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think. I don't think there's any – I think North Carolina State could win every game the rest of the way. Will they make the tournament? I don't think but so. But wouldn't that be in his favor if they win every game the rest of the way? I mean, isn't that an argument to say, look what he's done? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, no. So, I, yeah, so I, to I, say that he's out of the conversation after one bad game when he's, like, on the fringe of the conversation is a little bit irresponsible. No? Yeah, no, but, like, I, you know – the conversation for top three, I think at this point with six no, weeks left. I wouldn't put him in the top three. I yeah. wouldn't even put him in the top ten. But he's still somewhere where it matters. No, I, I, absolutely. But I think as, as we're getting to mid-February, I mean, don't you kind of like whittle away at the at the guys? We could certainly on a nightly basis talk about them. But like at what point do we say hey, he's a content? Like at what point does contendership go from like 10 to 12 or 12 to 10 to 8 to 6 to 4 to 2, you know? 
Like I mean, well, there's still a whole month of the season left. We still have four weeks till Selection Sunday. That's a lot that can happen. And I don't know. I just, I, I just wouldn't want to write somebody off when you have, like, ten games remaining. I just what's, – what's the value in that? So, okay, maybe he sucks the last – you know, the next five games. Okay, maybe then you get to the point where there's five games left. He can't fix anything anymore. He still has an opportunity to, to turn it around and to fix things. No, absolutely. The, the, it, it certainly doesn't look that way, but that's more – Right, this. but that's us editorializing. That's not us in the locker room sitting there talking to Mark Gottfried, seeing what his plan is and, and what his conversation with Kat is and what's going to happen moving forward. That's us sitting here being like, oh, well, this is, this is what's happened already, um, so this is what we think will happen. Haven't we seen in this season that you can't do that? <laughs> yeah, no. This of all seasons, we've seen that that's not something that you can sit here and no matter how much you look at the stats and everything, just say, okay, well, this team is definitively not going to lose and they're number one. No, it's just, I mean. Yeah, but like, isn't that kind of what we get paid to do is like talk about stuff that we don't know? It's because we watch it, we make, you know, thoughts and predictions about it. And certainly we can't say that he's out of it because they, they think like they could win every game and win the ACC tournament, and you would be saying this is one of the greatest performances because of what he did in the last month when it matters the most. No, and I That's don't. what we love about this sport is that there is the opportunity to, to do that, and that's valuable to people who watch it for that only that one month of March to come in and say, oh, my God, this guy wasn't great all year, and then all of a sudden he was phenomenal. Like, that's what people love about this sport. That's why March is so exciting for people who don't necessarily care other than – to watch after selection Sunday. So, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I think, I think it's, I just don't want to write anybody off. I, I don't think that you can just definitively say this is over. But like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe my big thing is like, who is like, who's saying like, I, he's rarely in the discussion. I think because at this point, we're really only like, we're really only talking about five or six guys at this point. Like we don't even, t has anyone really talking about, uh, Second team All American? Not really. I mean, you know, you'll maybe seven guys, but like, so if he's not in the top seven, top ten, it's not that we're writing him off. It's just that at some point the field gets whittled down. Oh, yeah, and I think the field is our, has been whittled down. I just, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just not over. That, no. That's all I'm saying. The field is whittled down. You can whittle down however you want to however many players you want. And obviously, we both agree that there's front runner and Buddy Healed, but this ain't over. No, no, it's we not. We still got six weeks. I mean. Two, three weeks ago, the last time we recorded a podcast, which was late January. I mean, we discussed whether or not Duke was going to make the tournament. Right. And at that same time, uh, several publications were steadfast that LSU was out of the tournament. Mm -hmm. um, LSU still has a little bit of work to do. Duke's in the tournament. Latest projections have them somewhere between a, a five and a seven seed. I see them more seven and nine seed. Regardless, they're in. So, again, anything can happen. Um, so I, I don't think we can write them off. I just think that it's like, as much as a, of a down year as this is for Duke, I don't think there's any way that they're going to be a nine seed. There's like, after going through that whole procedure, there are just so many fatal flaws in the teams that are above them and below them that, absolutely. you know, you can seed them in at a nine. And then when you go head to head and you look at every team head to head one through 68, they bump up five to six spots easily because you think you have some perception of how this Duke team is. And then when you compare them head-to-head -head about the teams around the teams that are seated around them, I mean, 
they, they, they are better than you think they are. Oh, absolutely. And that's a testament to the players on that team having figured it out in Emil Jefferson's absence now. But I, I, I just don't see them as a nine seed. I wanted to interject and say that. No, that, that, that's fine. I, I think that that's also, like, I guess what we've really been talking about is a broader issue of, like, perception versus reality. That's, some, that's deep, and I didn't take enough classes in college for that. But, <laughs> but like, it's funny because, you know, we're, we do radio interviews every now and then, and, like, I've done like five this week. And, I'm and all radio people now, ask right you, now. is this team on the bubble? Blah, blah, blah. I always like, I always say this is like, they got to choose 36 at large teams or 37 at large teams. 36. And this year, it's going to be 38 because Louisville was in, they're out. SMU's in, they're out. But they don't, they don't do that. They no. don't pick, like, they don't include them and then have to sub teams in for them. They just don't even talk no, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but, they only have to pick 36. There's yes. no 38. Yeah, here. but okay, fine. But then there's two guaranteed from that field of 300, yeah. whatever. Yeah, but that fine. doesn't mean they pick 38. Yeah, no, but they have to because that's how many teams are, or, yeah, 36, whatever. Uh, again, math also not one of my strong suits. <laughs> but, uh, they have to pick teams to get in. And there are so many, as many good to kind of good teams there are as they're kind of good to really good. I don't think there's any elite team. There are that many, like, bubble teams. Yeah. and Probably more than in any regular year, I would say. And I don't – I think because of that, it might save us from the inevitable, like, last week before the tournament where everyone is – driving a horse of one team and they're like this would just be unfair and just a sign that the ncaa doesn't know what they're doing because vcu got left out it's like there are so many teams this year that are on the bubble that it's like you screwed up you screwed up you screwed up you guys screwed up y'all sucked the problem is a lot of the bubble teams that are there now are reliant on the strength of other Mm -hmm. bubble teams so if one (laughs) bubble bursts then it's like a chain reaction of six teams who are now kind of just lost at sea because that that chain just basically fell apart. So that's the dangerous part of this year. It's not necessarily that there are – I guess there are more bubble teams, but the other bubble teams are so reliant on teams like themselves. Like you look at like a St. Bonnie's or a George Washington or a Richmond or a VCU, and all those teams are in the same conference, and they're all reliant on the wins that they're beating up on each other. Big 12 is the same way yep. in that all these teams – they don't have pristine records. You know, Oklahoma's probably the best team in the Big 12 right now, and they've got, what, four losses? Teams, yeah. are, teams are beating up on each other in conference to the point where you can't just look at a record and be like, that team's good or bad. Yeah. Because you could have seven losses and still be a team that's in one of the top four seed lines. And then, so you say, okay, well, let's look at non-conference play. Teams were so vastly different back then, back then being up two months ago, mm-hmm. that it's almost unfair to look back then because so much has progressed. It's just been, like... Like we've talked about, it's unfair to rush to judgment or jump to conclusions. But this year, you almost can't just because everything changes. Everything matters, too. That's the crazy part about this year is that never before in the last couple years have we paid so much attention to each individual game Mm -hmm. as much as we do this year because everything matters. Because no one knows. I don't know. We, like, experts don't know because you see, well, dude, this team is, is going to win, like, Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't care if Wisconsin's won six in a row. They're going to Maryland. And then Wisconsin basically waxes the floor. Although, I did see Kevin Pauga, who runs the KPI site, he tweeted something about the expectancy and KPI of teams to win was 77% correct last year. It's 78% correct this year of teams who are expected to win actually winning. So, 
maybe that's perception versus reality too. Do we just think that because we're so confident in some of these teams and that's not actually how it projects out? I, I just, I mean, that's, that's a telltale sign to me that our perception is not necessarily the reality. Like if, this year, I have. If you can crunch numbers and say, okay, well, this team is expected to win and be correct 78% of the time versus last year, 77. I mean, that's pretty damn close. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw, I think I saw something similar to that. It had to do with like spreads met as opposed to spreads met last year. And it was like pretty similar. And I think it's just because, again, like, look at who the number one seeds would be this year. If let, let's say, if Ryan Fagan did the field of 68. And yesterday on Monday, and Villanova was number one overall. It'd be like Villanova, Oklahoma, Oklahoma Iowa, and Kansas. and Kansas. That's just like you got one blue blood. Villanova is I. They're they're in that discussion, uh, but like yeah, they, they won a national. Wishy washy about they, that. They won a national championship. They have multiple Final Fours. It's a traditional power. Let's call it. Uh, Oklahoma's a football school through and through. They've had some success. Blake Griffin back in the the and then in the early 90s, Wayman Tisdale. Uh, and then Iowa, I guess, every now and then. But that's just, like, bizarre. I mean, Iowa hasn't – I think – th- I could two- be totally making this up, but I don't think that they've won the their conference in, like, the last 10 years. I wouldn't be surprised. I think the last time they were a seed this high is when they lost to uh, Northwestern State. I, I vaguely game. remember reading that, so I could be totally wrong on that. That's why we need a fact checker for our podcast, because between the two of us, we have yeah. tendency to sometimes make up our own statistics. Well, that's what's great is if you <laughs> – perception versus reality. If you say something with enough confidence, people will be like, hmm, okay. It's very much there's an inside joke here. It's choice bread and butter. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> is that you can convince anyone you talk to that you know about the show Burn Notice on USA Network. I've never seen it. I've seen, like, commercials for it. But you could say, oh, that's just like on episode three of Burn Notice. And someone will go, really? And go, yeah, sure. Everyone's heard of it. No one's ever seen it. I don't think I've ever seen exactly. it. Exactly. That's a good theory. Exactly. So. Um, or you could just be like, that's like episode 27 on season three of Friends. And there's just so many episodes. Nah, 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 nah. Any but, clue what you were talking about. Nah, but you, you would have to be like, oh, which, which one was that? Like, where in the arc, like, was Ross with Rachel? Was Chandler with this? Like, blah, blah, blah. You'd be like Chandler in the acting game. Yeah, like what was what was Joey's career arc? Like how ill was was that when Phoebe? Oh, that was Joey, not Chandler. Oh, w- I suck. Was Phoebe carrying the baby? Like, yeah, you can't bring that weak friends game in here. Like I <laughs> again, now I'm like, no, what episode were you talking about? But yeah, so it this the player of the year race is the only the number one in the player of the year race is really the only constant we've had. For the last two months. And so if you think about second place is Denzel Valentine, probably things could change. Again, last year, we thought that it was a foregone conclusion that Jaleel Okafor was going to be the number one pick in the draft. And then the last month of the season, Carl Anthony Towns. Okay, but again, you're, you're equating NBA projection. Yeah, but it's, ju- it's just a, this is what we thought for a couple months. Okay. And, and so things could change. But the only constants we've had are that Denzel Valentine and Buddy Hield. Well, the two best players of college basketball. Um, and that's really the only constants because everything else has been so crazy. So I guess, yes, it would be unfair. In conclusion, it would be unfair to write off Cap Barber. But because his team is not as good as other teams, he is losing ground in the debate. As we move forward and saying we're weeding people off, your team is making themselves less 
visible, which means we're just drifting apart. I don't think that <laughs> this is a relationship, Dad, yeah. and we're just drifting apart. It's, it's not. It's not us. It's you. It's. It's not. It's not even you. It's your friends. <laughs> it's the guys you hang out with. Really, if you if you think about it, it's 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 My not you. My mom doesn't like your friends. Yeah, sorry, like parents said, we you know they think you're a bad. They think the people you hang out. You run. What is it? The you people, run with the wrong crowd. No, the people you hang out with are a bad influence. Bad seed. You run with the wrong crowd. So. Again, I don't, I don't think a lot of it is up to Cat Barber. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with which is nuts because he's literally the only one that stands to benefit from being Player of the Year is mm-hmm. the actual player. But it's not really even up to the actual player in a certain sense because there's so many things he can't control that some people want to hold him responsible for. That's my stance on it. It's the last thing I got. All I'm gonna say. I think we like agree in theory but disagree in application of theory or maybe the other way around and we agree in application of theory and disagree in theory either way either way you're confused (laughs) and i that's one of my best skill sets is the ability to confuse myself and other people all while uh displaying confidence in what i'm talking about well you nailed that so so we're moving on that's it Thanks for tuning in to episode five of Sporting News Kangaroo Court College Hoops podcast. We look forward to seeing you again next week.